Welcome back to the Beyond the Pod podcast. This episode, we are joined by freelance African football journalist Ali Howarth. With the World Cup wrapped up, we have a look back at Morocco's success and the general positive showing from the African nations. We're also going to look a little beyond the World Cup and talk about the recent takeover at AFC Burma. Ali, do you want to kick us off and talk to us about Morocco's impressive run? Yeah, man, guys, thanks thanks for having me on the pod again. Um, yeah, I mean, it, look, I'll be honest, coming into this World Cup as, a, as someone who covers a lot of the African football, I didn't have a lot of hope, I'll be honest. I, I didn't think a lot of these teams were coming in in good nick. Um, I, I thought, you know, four of the five teams, including Morocco, had changed manager in the last year since the AFCON um, and, you know, there was just a lot of noise around all of the teams, you know, again, obviously in, in Afcon, or African qualifying, it's always so difficult. Like I think both Ghana and Cameroon qualified, I think on away goals, like, so these guys have not cantered into the world cup. So there was a lot of sense for me that this was not going to be it. Actually, this was a really, really low ebb for the African teams. But the one team I had faith in was Morocco. Um, and I'll, and I'll say that kind of with the caveat that, look, I think Senegal are also a really good team, but as soon as Mane was injured, for me, there wasn't as much hope. They, they did as well as I thought they would do, get to the round of 16 and get knocked out by, by a better team. But Morocco showed, you know, first of all, that they have, you know, a, a brilliant coach. And I'm really glad that the world has seen how good a coach Walid Regragui is because, you know, for those of us watching football in Africa, we've known it for a long time. You know, essentially, this is a guy who, for so many reasons, has become the key guy at Morocco. You know, first of all, He's a former player. I think he was a right back, you know, made 45 caps, I think. Uh, had a fair, you know, fairly solid career throughout France and Europe. Um, but he, really importantly, came back to Morocco to do his coaching badges. So he, the first team that he took over, he was the assistant of the national team back in like 2012, 2013, did that for a year. And then he moved on to a, small, a tiny club called Fus Rabat. who's probably like the fifth or sixth biggest team in Morocco, like mid-table side. And over four or five years there, he won them their first ever Batola Pro, like the league title. He won uh, an FA Cup. It's called the Throne Cup, which I think is a much better name. Um, he got them to another Throne Cup final. Then he went to Al Duhail, which is like the second biggest team in, in Qatar, won this, the Qatar Stars League, um, and then came back. And then this, this year has been his crowning achievement because he came back to Morocco, took on over at Widad Casablanca, probably the biggest club in Morocco, I think Raja fans might disagree, but, and then he won the title, the league title, and he won the Champions League, the African Champions League. So he did a league double, a league and cup double. He almost won the Throne Cup as well. I think they got knocked out in the semifinals, maybe quarters. Um, but he showed that he was the best coach in Africa because that, that has been something that we've said on my podcast. And, you know, I've banged the drum on about a lot is that Africa provides some of the best football players in the world, but we don't provide the best coaches. There's a lot of reasons for that lack of infrastructure, lack of investment, and also lack of opportunities. But recently in 2018, CAF, the African Federation, started a coaching course for their own coaches in Africa. So like the equivalent of the UEFA Pro license. And Walid Regragi was in the first cohort. Um, so I don't know if you've seen like clips on social media of him attending seminars with Mikel Arteta. That is on the CAF, the CAF Pro license course. Um, and so... And so that's why it's really significant that he's, you know, someone who's from Morocco instead of, say, Valahidizic, who was the guy who sacked before him from Bosnia. But also he's someone who has grown up in African football, in Moroccan football. He's coached the biggest team in Morocco and he's coached them successfully. He's gotten his coaching badges in Africa. 
um, as well as in Europe. So I think that's kind of the heart of why they've done so well is this guy, Walid Regragi. Um, but I, you know, I can, I can talk so much more about, you know, the infrastructure in Morocco as well, because I think that's for me, the, the other big thing that Morocco have, and why I had faith in them, even if he wasn't the coach, I thought that they would do well at this world cup because Morocco have the infrastructure of a major European country. And a lot of people don't know this or don't appreciate it, but it is unbelievable. Like there, so they have a training complex that was built, finished two or three years ago called the Mohammed six complex which is, you know, I, I once interviewed Rizella Ayan, who plays for Spurs and Morocco, and she's in England, Youth International, and she said it's St. George's Park with palm trees. And, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, five, you can, I think there's four or five-star hotels. There's like eight FIFA standard pitches, one's indoor, like in a completely climate-controlled room. They have a dentist. They have like every single medical facility you could want. Like, it's unbelievable. They have a futsal stadium. They have a beach soccer stadium. Like, it is um, and, you know, that investment has come through and through. And that's why you've seen Morocco do really well in other elements. So the women's side got to the final of the AFCON for the first time, qualified for the World Cup for the first time. The current holders of the CAF Champions League is Moroccan. The current holders of the CAF Confederations Cup, which is the Europa League, is also Moroccan. So it was the first time that it was an all-Moroccan Super Cup was played a few months ago. And the winners, the current holders of the Women's Champions League is also Moroccan. Three different clubs all dominating on the continental scene. And that's because of this investment. And so that's kind of where this drive for Morocco is. Because we can talk about all these amazing players, you know, Sofian Amrabat stepping up and Unahi and Hakimi and Ziyech and, you know, Roman Saiz playing with half a leg. You know, it's, it's incredible what these guys have done. But this is why they're successful. They're not successful because they've got a group of good players. They're successful because they have a huge amount of investment behind them. And I want to make that very clear because I think there's always a temptation, particularly with African nations, and to say, ah, they're so good because they've got these star players who are, you know, think of like Senegal 2002, people like El Hajj Juf, you know, they're really talented, they're mavericks, that's why they're doing well. But now nah, this is a team that is well-coached, well-organized, has the investment behind them, have been invested in for over a decade now in terms of huge investments. And, you know, they, they're... I would say the one thing is they arrived ahead of schedule. You know, I would have said the next two or three World Cups is when they'll reach a semifinal. Um, I wasn't expecting it this World Cup, but I did expect them to get to the quarterfinals because I think they're they're a top, top team. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the infrastructure and why they're doing so well, because I was going to ask you about that. I guess as a general average football, a European football fan, um, when you look at African nations, you usually assume the ones that are going to do well are the players you know of. So historically... Um, the teams are always going to do well. It's funny because neither of these two nations at the World Cup are Nigeria and Ivory Coast, um, just because of some of the stars they had. And then you'd assume it's if they are to do well, it's, it's of the brilliance of those stars. But this tournament, particularly, I, I don't think it's just isolated to um, the African nations, alongside uh, quite a few of the Asian nations and the Arab nations as well. You see, they tactically outsmarted a lot of the teams they beat and it shows there's I guess what you were speaking about on the coaching side it shows there's a development of coaches overseas as well I guess from the opening a game of tournament we saw Saudi Arabia play fantastic offside traps and I'm like damn like I guess we're just used to seeing these sort of teams just roll over or just attempt there's sometimes a when smaller teams do do well there's almost a condescending tone around the tactics as if oh it was just passion you can't at this level you can't win with solely passion there's a lot of tactics involved and I think yeah Morocco obviously of all the nations executed it to the best and they were unlucky to 
lose to um, France in the semis because if I, I personally think they outplayed France for the majority of the game with just the, the individual brilliance of a couple of French players that were the, was the difference. And yeah, they were... I guess another thing that I found impressive about Morocco, like growing up and I guess um, the, the stereotype around, especially North African footballers, where they're just these silky, uh, skillful players and they're lazy defensively. Morocco completely got rid of that stereotype, disciplined defensively, everyone knew their roles. Um, Ziyech, I've always saw him as a hard-working player and I think he gets a lot of stick at Chelsea because uh, Chelsea's just a mess of a club, but he was so disciplined and he was just so efficient. That, that's, that's another thing that um, I think we should give Morocco credit for. The efficiency was was fantastic. And as you were previously speaking about role with Roman Saiz, um, yeah, playing with one leg, the dedication, it was, it, was, it was great, man. And I think it rallied a lot of people like um, that would otherwise, I guess, be disinterested with... So sometimes when you see all the big teams doing well, big nations doing well, and you, you kind of want to root for underdog. And while Morocco does have the massive back in the infrastructure, I, I do still, I guess in the international scene, they still are a underdog. So it was great to see them do well. And even with Senegal, Senegal gave England quite a good game. Those um, first 38 minutes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was it was really good. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they got the goal. So yeah, generally it was... I think it was a great showing. And going to Ghana, they, I don't want to speak about the Uruguay game because I think that was an <laughs> opportunity missed. But even even the Portugal game, Portugal were the team that were defending and playing on the counter-attack. It was Ghana that were playing the expansive good football. And I believe they had the youngest team at the tournament. Mm-hmm. Or was, and the US was second. Second, was, yeah. Yeah. So, so it was Ghana were the youngest. So it's just, the future is bright. It's, it's not, it's no longer quote-unquote passion and just, isolated individuals changing the game or it is is a well-structured squad and good coaching and I guess everyone's buying into a certain philosophy and I think yes it's, it's I guess it's a sign of what's to come and as you, you you just said you didn't expect Morocco to be doing this well this World Cup I'd love to see what they do that next tournament if they're so ahead of schedule already so yeah I think it's brilliant I was going to ask you, um, Ali, I remember we had you on the pod a while ago and we were talking to you and you were telling us about like, the atmosphere at some of the Moroccan games and just a lot of the AFCON games. Um, they just announced that the Club World Cup, FIFA announced the Club World Cup is going to be in Morocco. Uh, what did you think about that? Do you think that's going to be like a good showcase? I mean, obviously a lot of people aren't too into the Club World Cup, but do you think it's going to be like a good way to showcase like the fan culture there and... Uh, kind of put the, the the fandom and the atmosphere of like Morocco and African places like into like a, a new light, basically, following up on this good run for Morocco. 100%. And, and I think, again, like this is a really lazy stereotype of African countries in the World Cup is that, you know, their fans bring the color, they have the, you know, the atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. But like, but there's no nuance to that conversation because, yes, it's true if you put Africa as a block, they bring the noise, you know, as the South America and Central America, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, what, what are the things I've loved about this tournament? Yeah, is seeing North African and Arabs fans, because I've, I've, put, I've beat this drum for a while and I will say it again, I don't think there are any fan base in the world that is better than North African fans and fans from the Middle East. I don't think there's anywhere else. My friend lives and lives works in Iraq, in rural Iraq, and he just sent me a video 
of at like whatever time in the night it is there like past midnight he just took a video outside his window and he like the whole town is just like an uproar because of the the world cup final like these guys are just this is argentina you know but it's like that's how passionate the fans are and i think yeah i think the club world cup again is not a big deal for the european countries and i understand why because they're expected to win and they should win because of the you know how big they are but for everyone else it's a huge deal you know i, I point to like the last couple editions of the club world cup is the, the african representation alakhli from Egypt, um, you know, coached by Pizzo Mosimani, who was also came through with Wigragi in that, in that coaching setup. You're probably the two best African coaches. You know, the, when they beat, I think it was one of the years they beat Palmeiras, um, the South American champion, and that was huge. That was such a big deal. It's big financially because you get the rewards, but in terms of saying that actually we're good enough to play on the stage, that is such a big deal. And the fact that, yeah, it's going to be hosted in Morocco, look, Having covered a tournament there, facilities, everything will be perfect. There won't be any issues on that, on that side of things. But in terms of the fan culture, particularly club fan culture, again, I, I'm sure I said this last time I was on, but if, you, if any of you have the time, just YouTube Moroccan ultras, like, and it is insane, the, the ultras culture. It is unbelievable. Just like hours before, you know, days and days and weeks of preparations building the biggest TIFOs you've ever seen that can compete with anything in Germany or Italy or where it's unbelievable. Um, and so I, what I just hope is that for the club world cup, they let the fans do that. So, I mean, there's a fear that because it's FIFA, they'll turn it in corporate, make it all corporate, you know, suddenly you'll be having half empty stadiums that usually is at the club world cup. But if you, if you see, you know, the, the, you know, Mohammed six stadium with like, you know, 40,000 Moroccan ultras uh, supporting with that, that will be, oh, I can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm, I've already looked at tickets to try and go because I'm buzzing for it. So I guess uh, just before we wrap, wrap up this section, we've given a lot of love to Morocco and rightly so. But if you were to give a prediction, we've just finished the 2022 World Cup, but looking forward, I guess the next one, um, which is super early. So, so much can change. I know this is a super early question, but what, nations in africa i guess uh, interest you or do you think hmm they've got something cooking that's that's an interesting question and, and it's going to be even more interesting because obviously the next world cup we're going to have nine plus african teams at the world cup so there's no longer going to be this you know missing out on teams like nigeria who you know who who were so much better than ghana in the world cup playoff but but lost simply because it was ghana you know and lost on a way goal same with algeria and cameroon you know just like this and you know egypt senegal went to penalties you know just like you won't see that i think there's two things i would say about african football that give me a lot of hope is i would say one is they're finally tapping into the diaspora um, which is huge for a lot of African countries. And we saw it with Morocco in their success. You know, 14 of the 26 players were born outside Morocco. But especially with Morocco, those guys are not any less Moroccan. You know, for save Hakim, uh, Ashraf Hakimi, you know, they're probably Morocco's best player, biggest superstar. You know, when you go to Morocco, every single advertisement has his face plastered on it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, even though he was born in Spain, he was always going to represent Morocco. I remember seeing that when, was it the first of Real Madrid's, uh, Champions Leagues or one of them, the one that he was in as like just like an 18 year old. I don't even think he got any minutes. He had his Moroccan flag out during the celebrations. Like that's, and, and so I think that's really important is that. So I think it's the countries that have the biggest connections to, you know, the football factories, i.e. England and France, you know, Morocco, we've seen it with Senegal, you know, we'll see it, Ivory Coast. Um, so I think that is one big thing. But I also think the other thing is that the, a lot of these countries 
are starting to tap into their own um, talent pools and starting to, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, how like European countries, again, particularly England and France, man, particularly South London has industrialized like the development of players you know you go out you know find a four-year-old somewhere on the streets of south london he's he's already got a contract with crystal palace you know like that's how like you know these guys from day one are signed up you know out of the womb they're they're already doing their first contract so like and so there's a lot and, and this world cup has been a good advertisement for that you know sadio mani was at generation foot which is you know senegal's most prestigious academy you had three or four of the moroccan players um at the coming from the you know Mohammed 6 academy that's only been going on for about uh, a decade you know Ennezri or Nahi um Egard the center back you know and then you have in Ghana you have Mohammed Kudus is now the poster boy for Ghana um but he came through the Right to Dreams academy which actually owns FC Norgesland or however you pronounce it in Denmark so this academy owns a top top tier Danish club and so and that's what it is that's where he came through you know, so so countries are starting to catch up in terms of that, that academies, building that process now. And then the third thing is that coaches are starting to come through. You know, this is the first World Cup with five African coaches. That's a huge deal because, you know, and even at the AFCON, I think it was the AFCON with the most African coaches, um, certainly for at least like, you know, almost half a century. So I think that gives me hope. So the, the countries that are super excite me, Ghana really excites me. I mean, like you said, it's the youngest Ghanaian team. Some of the boys they have on that team, like Mohamed Kudus, you know, we barely saw Kamaldin uh, Suleimana because he was coming off the back of an injury, but he is stellar, you know, and then you add in players like Tyrek Lamptey, you know, um, Inaki Williams, you know, Daniel Kofekere, uh, who barely played this tournament, but has that, you know, talent. For me, the big worry is, you know, everything still relies on Thomas Partey um, because he's still the number one, you know, their anchor in midfield. So I'd say Ghana excites me, Morocco excites me. Look, Algeria's always got plenty of talent, huge talent factory there. And again, they're ones that can tap into that French pool. Nigeria, I would love to say yes, because, you know, they ha- Nigeria is crazy because they have like the biggest talent pool in the world in terms of players. Like literally you go to any country in the world, there will be a Nigerian playing in that league. You go to Uzbekistan, you go to India, you go to, I don't know, like Micronesia, there'll be a Nigerian playing. So they, even though they don't have the same kind of academy structures and the infrastructure is terrible, they still generate all these amazing players. But again, for them, it's more, can you put in the framework around them? Because I think if you can, they have a really good team. We saw that at the AFCON, they were by far the best team until they suddenly played one really bad game against Tunisia and got knocked out. So I would say Ghana, Nigeria, Senegal, Morocco are probably the four that really excite me. But then another one that really could come out the blue is Mali. Um, Mali have a huge, unbelievable talent pool. It, it, the amount of center midfielders they have in particular is ridiculous. Abdoulaye Decore, um, is Yves Basuma, uh, and then you have a bunch of, you know, Mohamed Kamara, who I think is at Roma. Um, they have like six excellent midfielders who are all really young, really exciting. And again, they were another one. They lost to Tunisia in the World Cup qualifiers. Get this. In the first half of the first game, the game at home against Tunisia, they scored an own goal because one of the center backs passed it back to the keeper and the keeper was like next to the goal. So he literally passed it into his own goal. And then they, I don't think they had a shot on target for the rest of the two legs because Tunisia just parked the bus. Like, again, like they were so much better than Tunisia. Even in the AFCON, they were in the same group and they uh, came ahead of Tunisia. But because of the qualification, they didn't get it. So I think Mali as well is the one that I would probably throw into the mix that... They might surprise people and maybe at the next AFCON, maybe at the World Cup again, if they get the investment, if they get the right coaching set up. Like that's always the question with a lot of these a lot of these countries. All right. So last week we had a partnership led by American businessman Bill Foley 
uh, took over AFC Bournemouth. Bill Foley is a owner of the Vegas Golden Knights. That's an NHL team. And he's not alone. He has come with Michael Jordan. Not the one you're thinking of. Michael B. Jordan is one of the lead minority owners. So I want to ask you guys, one, what you feel in general about takeovers midseason. Um, you know, we saw a thing somewhat similar with Newcastle. Obviously, that was for a significant uh, higher amount of money. But it changed this season. It completely changed where they are. Right now, I believe, are they third on the table? I think they're third. I believe they're third. If they're not, they're top four. They're definitely top four. I believe they're third. I don't think Bournemouth is going to be top four. I don't think they're going to be top three. They might not be in the Premier League next year. But yeah, what do you guys think about the takeover? And what do you guys think about, you know, kind of the whole whatever is going on and Michael B. Jordan now um, owning a Premier League team? I find it quite interesting that they've, um, a lot of the stories have led with Michael B. Jordan being a part owner because I think he has a really minority, small stake in it. So he's, he's not really going to be influenced anything. But I guess it just makes the club a lot more marketable. Um, um, a couple of leagues down, we see it with Wrexham, how Ryan Reynolds has taken over that club and he's completely changed their social media and everything. And he's become an integral part. I don't see Michael B. Jordan doing it with Bournemouth. But I personally am a huge fan of just like celebrities getting involved with European soccer. I guess they see see the money. That's um, I, I love you called it soccer. Go on. Uh, so, he called it soccer. <laughs> so win. Oh, man. Continue, continue. My bad, football. Because I was speaking about. <laughs> nah, nah, it's too late. Actors. It's too late. Hey, hey, hey go for it. Go for it. I'll take my W. <laughs> anyway, so with Michael B. Jordan, yeah, I just think he it complete. It gives you a completely new audience. Like he can promote that in America, and now you have some Bournemouth fans in America. It makes a a way bigger global brand, and yeah, I'm, you're gonna start seeing a lot of girls be wearing. Bournemouth jerseys, which is which is gonna be annoying. I think it's smart though to like be oh Michael B. Jordan is one of the new own he has no way he has even somewhat any say in Bournemouth at all. It's like LeBron with Liverpool. You know, like oh LeBron's an owner of Liverpool. I don't think LeBron can call Klopp up and be like, hey, I was watching the other day, I think you should go for this guy. It's not happening. So I, I but it's smart though, again, there's gonna be people now who have never heard of Bournemouth. And they're going to be like, oh, who's this? Because Michael B. Jordan wears their jersey like on the set sometimes. So I think it's cool. I think it's fun. But what do you think, Ali? First of all, like, if you could get any celebrity to market your club, you get, like, the most beautiful man in the world, the world has ever seen. Let me, I just, man, I love Michael B. Jordan so much. That guy is just beautiful. Um, I mean, generally, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very against, like, you know, and call me a kind of, I don't know, a kind of, old man or something but I, I generally don't like like foreign ownership in general like for me I feel like ownership needs to a be really led by fans even if it's just minority stakeholder but also people need to like be from that area born you know I you know I, I would love to see a Bournemouth uh, kind of chairman um, now this is coming as someone who who supports Blackburn and kind of we were the first I, like honestly probably the first club to be bought by a rich person and then win the Premier League off the back of it now, it was a bit more wholesome because Jack Walker was from Blackburn, but that's essentially what we did, you know, as, as much as I'd love to say that, you know, we're one of the only teams to have won the Premier League. Um, but yeah, man, again, like, if if you got anyone, go with Michael B. Jordan. But yeah, I love that. And yeah, yeah, the idea that, you know, Bournemouth is suddenly going to have a big following in like, I don't know, like LA or wherever in the US, I you know, that is, that is fun. I do love that. <laughs> All right, so I was going to bring up the point of any celebrities collabs we'd love to see as ownership. 
first one I'd like to suggest. KSC Watford. KSI, I mean, Watford. KSI Watford. Is, is he a I Watford fan? I love home to. Oh, is that he's where from? He's from, from? Oh, okay. he's from Watford. He's from Watford. He's an Arsenal fan, but like, eh, whatever. Have him by Watford, and then just Watford just becomes like but KSI versus Jake Paul right there, right there. It's amazing. He he generate it, it'd be perfect. You see, they have a cool logo. They're the bees, but they have a moose on the logo. It's everything about Watford. I love it. KSI to Watford. Bring Deji with him. We get Floyd Mayweather up in there. It's like London, but it's not. It's the closest you're going to get to a London team being sold. So, yeah, I'm going with KSI, Watford. Mine is completely different to that, and it's really random. But I've just got, like, an idea in my head right now. I'm just rolling with it. I want Tom Hardy with his ruffled beard, and I want him to take over... One of either Stoke or one of the Serbian um, ultra teams, and I just so I just want him like I just want him at half time walking onto the pitch with like a cigar in his mouth and like while there's flares in the background, <laughs> and then like he just says like a Serbian chant and the crank. And the crowd goes crazy, like just the imagery. Like Tom Hardy is the ultimate hard man, so he needs to be like part of a hard man club. So <laughs> maybe one of those sub. Or, or listen, man, a a a rainy night at Stoke's got a completely different meaning when you've got Tom Hardy like prowling the touchline in the rafters, <laughs> staring you down. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just think Tom Hardy he has to, have, but there's a clause. Obviously, he has to have the ruffled beard. He can't be clean shaven. Can't shave, can't shave. He can't shave, and he's got to be like, he's got to be Bane, yeah, Tom Hardy. None of that skinny stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice. 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 <laughs> nice. Nice. I think for me, like, again, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of celebrity ownership, but if there was, if there, if I was going to buy into it, I would love to see Hugh Jackman take over, like, Notts County or one of Wrexham's rivals, just so we can keep seeing, because you know, like, this beef that, that um, Hugh Jackman and, and Brian Reynolds have, they're just, like, always shitting on each other. I like I think the internet would go crazy. I think both of those clubs would just like become huge because suddenly you'd have the biggest celebrity like fake beef that you've ever seen. I'm just thinking of the YouTube video. I love Ryan Reynolds' YouTube channel, like at all the stuff he does with Hugh Jackman. And I would just love to see those two kind of like literally on, you know, in the VIP like lounge or whatever at Wrexham overlooking a game and kind of breaking into a fight or something. I just I would love that. You guys are so different to me. Like you guys are chosen like the gimmicky, lovable clubs, make it all family friendly. No, I want. Listen, I I want I want Tom Hardy with the leather gloves, the piggy blinder coat. I want him on the touchline with the Serbian fans going crazy in Stoke. Listen, my, he's at all Stoke, and I want the I want uh, the stadium's going to be a fortress, and he gives his vain speech every single game. I would like to say my last one. I had to do an extra one. I would love to see Vince McMahon come by the hammers. The potential of WWE. Let's get some sledgehammers in here. Let's totally lead into Let's get Triple H. Let, let, let's, there we go. I love it. I love it. I need Vince McMahon. I need some promos. I'm surprised I need there's everything. not been a link up with that. Like some WD with yeah. some club in, in, in the Premier League. Because, yeah, I mean... Would, it would be, be amazing. Good. I would love that. Like, I don't know, before a game kicks off, you got a whole show, like, break, just drop right? the ring in the middle of the field. The, yeah. the music, the music. If they win anything, you get them, you get them some belts. 
It would be amazing. I need Declan Vince McMahon. Rice walking out. Like, I need Vince McMahon. <laughs> right. Two belts. That's how you get him to stay. That's how you get him to stay. If you're watching this, was him. Link up with Vince McMahon. I guarantee Declan Rice, he'll sign the long-term contract. Make him the European champion. I, I like that idea a lot more than the KSI one. That one works for me. I'm a fan. See, it's all about violence and getting hit with hammers, bro. Who doesn't want to see it? Who doesn't want to see it? Well, I think we're going to leave on a high note on that one. Um, I can assure you, I do not think I or Michael B. Jordan will be watching any Burnmouth games in the near future. But um, sadly, we won't be watching any World Cup games either. It's over. Just want to say, what a final. What a final. Crazy. Great final. Uh, we're, back to, we're back to club football now. Me and Arif's team is trash. Ali's team is worse. Um, so, yeah, you guys enjoy. Everybody have a good Christmas. Enjoy your holidays. And thank you, Ali, for coming on. We really appreciate it.